I had been invalided from the front, and had the good fortune to run into an old pal, John Cavendish, who invited me to visit his family's country estate for my month of recuperation. I had spent many summers at Stiles during childhood, and had fond memories of both the place and the family who inhabited it, the central figure of which had always been the matriarch, Emily Inglethorpe, John and Lawrence's stepmother. Visiting as an adult, I found the place rather changed. Not on the surface, you understand, but beneath. Emily had remarried in recent years, having inherited the estate and wealth from her husband, the Cavendish brothers' father, and the man seemed for all accounts to be an utter rotter, twenty years younger and oddly theatrical, with a larger-than-life fashion sense and large beard, Alfred Inglethorpe seemed to have his own interests at heart. John was married to the enigmatic Mary, who rather fascinated me, but she seemed enthralled by another suspicious character, the also enigmatic Dr. Bowerstein, with whom she appeared to spend much of her time. Lawrence, the younger brother, appeared to have a decided interest in Emily's ward, a dashed young pretty girl named Cynthia. Tensions ran high. The dislike of Alfred led to a row between Emily and her close friend, cum companion, Emily Howard, who has departed styles with some flounce in recent days. My thoughts swam, propelled by the atmosphere of tension. And something else. Danger? Yes. Yes, little did I know that danger was very close indeed. Hastings? I say! Hastings! What? What is it? We are afraid my mother is very ill. She seems to be having some kind of fit. Unfortunately, she has locked herself in. I'll, I'll, I'll come at once. There you are, Hastings. What an awful mess. Oh, the poor mistress. What do you think we'd better do? Well, something, John. Has anyone tried the door? Uh, tried to jimmy it, I mean. Nope, nothing. Try going through Mr. Inglethorpe's room, sir. He's not here at the moment. He's not here? Um, no. No, he isn't, sir. Follow me. No time to waste. At least his door was unlocked. Now to just try the connecting door. Damn! Locked as well! Oh dear, sir. Whatever shall we do? We must try and break the door in, I suppose. It'll be a tough job, though. Here, let one of the maids go down and wake Bailey and tell him to go for Dr. Wilkins at once. Now then, we'll have a try at the door. Half a moment, though. Isn't there a door into Miss Cynthia's rooms? Yes, sir, but that's always bolted. It's never been undone. Well, we might just see. I'll go. Cynthia! Oh. Hello, Mary. I've been trying to wake Cynthia. How she could sleep through all this hullabaloo is beyond me. 
We just need to see if her connecting door is unlocked so we can get to the mater. Brost! Locked as well. Any luck? No! The blasted thing is locked. The blasted thing is bolted as well. We must break in the door. And I think this one is a shade less solid than the one in the passage. Alright. Shoulder to it, boys. <clears throat> <clears throat> Dorcas? Yes, sir. Send Annie or one of the other girls to get Brandy. Quickly. Yes, yes, sir. Mater, we are all here now. Aren't we, Lawrence? Lawrence? Are you alright? What are you staring at? Oh, yes. Sorry, I was just thinking. Better now. Very sudden. Stupid of me to lock myself in. Poor Cynthia is quite frightened. I'm all right. Aunt Emily? My dear. <coughs> I have the brandy. Give it here. Mater, just have a little drink of this. I am here now. Step away from the bed, please. Dr. Baustein? Please, remain calm. Step away from the bed. I may be able to yet help. Please, I can try some chest compressions. Here. Why the bloody <clears throat> hell is Bowerstein here? Where is Dr. Wilkins? Be glad that Dr. Bowerstein is here, Lawrence. He's a renowned specialist, you know. Yes, my darling, we all know that you believe him brilliant. I'm not sure what you mean. However brilliant he may be, I don't think it's working. If only I could have been here sooner. I'm sorry. She is dead. If you will excuse me just one moment, I shall return. After the doctor's glum pronouncement and subsequent exit, a deep silence fell over the room for a full minute the only sound being Cynthia's quiet sniffles. I looked around the room and realized it must be closer to daylight than I had thought, as Mary Cavendish was dressed in a white smock day dress. Questions leaped through my head. How was Bowerstein always so jolly on the spot where Stiles was concerned? Why had Emily thought he was her husband and called him Alfred with her dying breath? Did Bowerstein suspect foul play? I had a feeling he did. Most importantly, where was Alfred Inglethorpe? What is it? Why did Dr. Bowerstein seem so peculiar? Perhaps he was feeling like a failure because he couldn't save Aunt Emily. Cynthia, he's a doctor. He knows he can't save every single patient. Well, I don't think he's quite as callous as you, John. <laughs> Maybe he's worried someone got into some of your poison, Cynthia. <laughs> that isn't funny. That isn't funny at all. Really, Lawrence? That wasn't appropriate or kind. What a ridiculous idea. Is it? What? 
Is it ridiculous? You have to admit, it's certainly suspicious, and Baustein obviously has a bee in his <coughs> bonnet about... Please, forgive my intrusion. I would like a word, if I may. I should go and check on Cynthia. First, please allow me to explain my presence. I ran into your boy, Bailey, as I was passing the gate, as he was dashing in to fetch Dr. Wilkins. I thought I'd be of more help and had him direct me here. Now, allow me to speak frankly, if I may. Mr. Cavendish, I should like your consent to do a post-mortem. Is that necessary? I'm afraid so. Essential, actually. How so? Under the circumstances, I find myself unable to provide a death certificate. I see. In that case, I have no alternative but to agree. I propose that it should take place tomorrow night. Or or, or rather, tonight. Under the circumstances, I am afraid an inquest can hardly be avoided. These formalities are necessary, but I beg you don't distress yourselves. With that being said, these are the keys of the two adjoining rooms. I have locked them, and in my opinion they should be better kept locked for the present. I hope you understand. Now, gentlemen, I know it has been a long night for all of us, and I shall take my leave of you. Good evening. (laughs) Or should I say, morning. What a bloody mess. Poor Mater. Yes. Uh, May I ask, where is Alfred Inglethorpe? He's not in the house. John, I've been mulling this over since earlier. I feel you may need to have someone investigate this matter for you. Oh, no, Hastings. The police will bring such publicity... (laughs) Bad business, that. Oh, no. I was thinking of someone with a little more finesse and expertise at dealing with matters of a delicate nature. Lawrence, do you remember the man I spoke to at the post office? The Belgian with the moustache. The dandy. Poirot, wasn't it? John, John, I want you to call him in to investigate this matter. What? Now? Before the post-mortem? Yes. Time is an advantage if... If there has been foul play. Rubbish. It's all a load of rubbish. Like all specialists, Bowerstein's got a bee in his bonnet. Poisons are his hobby. So, of course, he sees them everywhere. You said yourself... I was just ribbing Cynthia. I would never have hinted at such a thing if I thought... There was a chance in hell it could be real. No, no. You need have no fear of that. Poirot is discretion itself, I assure you. I can't feel as you do, Lawrence. I can't dismiss it out of hand. I'm inclined to give Hastings a free hand, though I should prefer to wait a bit. We don't want any unnecessary scandal. You won't regret it, John. I shall go and see Poirot this very afternoon. Very well, then. Have it your own way. I leave it in your hands. Though... If it is as we suspect, it seems a clear enough case. 
God forgive me if I am wronging him. Alfred, I mean. As I resolved, I set out that afternoon to seek out my old friend, Hercule Poirot. Truth be told, I was rather thrilled at the opportunity to be reacquainted with the old chap. He really was a fascinating fellow. As I took the narrow path across the estate through the winding grass, I had been turning over the events of the night in my mind. The violence of the convulsions, the choking sounds, an empty cup next to the bed on a tray, a passage I had read somewhere about strychnine poisoning, a visit to Cynthia with the bottles everywhere. How many people have you poisoned, Cynthia? Mary Cavendish in a white dress, waking a sleeping Cynthia. Lost in thought, I barreled right into a rapidly approaching figure. Hastings, my God, this is terrible. My poor wife, I have only just heard. Alfred, where have you been, man? Everyone's been looking for you. I was solicitor Denby kept me late last night going over our estate accounts. It was one o'clock before we'd finished. Then, as I was about to take my leave, I found that I'd forgotten the latch key after all. I didn't want to arouse the household, so Denby gave me a bed. I see. How did you hear the news? The doctor stopped by Denby's to tell him. Oh, my poor Emily. She was so self-sacrificing. Such a noble character. She overtaxed her strength, I'm afraid. Yes. She was an angel we didn't deserve. Yes, indeed. I'm afraid I must be hurrying on. Please don't let me keep you. As I finished the last few minutes of my journey to Leastaway Cottage, where my friend Poirot was ensconced, I felt a shudder of revulsion grip my spine. What a consummate hypocrite that fellow was with his crocodile tears. I do hope Poirot is at home. Ah, mon ami Hastings. <laughs> what a surprise this is. To what do I owe the pleasure of this visit? I'm afraid it's sadly not purely for leisure, Poirot. There's been a tragedy at Styles. A death. A death? Say no more. Come, come, my friend, inside. You, you must tell me all you know of the affair while I finish my ablutions. I followed him up to his room. There he installed me in a chair and I related the whole story, keeping back nothing and omitting no circumstance, however insignificant, while he himself made a careful and deliberate toilet. I told him of the strange tension in the house, of my awakening, of Miss Inglethorpe's dying words, of her husband's absence, of the quarrel the day before that had so excited Cynthia, of the scrap of conversation between Mary and her mother-in-law that I had overheard, of the former quarrel between Mrs. Inglethorpe and Evelyn Howard, and of the latter's innuendos. I'm sorry, Poirot, it, it all seems so dreadfully jumbled. The mind is confused. Is it not so? Take your time, mon ami. You are agitated. You are excited. It is but natural. 
Presently, when we are calmer, we will arrange the facts neatly, each in his proper place. We will examine and reject. Those of importance we will put on one side, those of no importance, poof, we blow them away. That's all very well, but how are you going to decide what is important and what isn't? That always seems the difficulty to me. <laughs> Not so. Voya, one fact leads to another. So we continue. Does the next fit in with that? Mavie, good. We can proceed. This next little fact. No? No. Ah, that is curious. There is something missing. A link in the chain that is not there. We examine. We search. And that little curious fact, that possibly paltry little detail that will not tally, we put it here. It is significant. It is tremendous. Yes. Ah, beware. Peril to the detective who says, it is so small it is no matter. It will not agree. Never forget it. That way lies confusion. Everything matters. I, I know. You always told me that. That's why I have gone into all the details of this thing, whether they seem to me relevant or not. And I am pleased with you. You have a good memory. And you have given me the facts faithfully of the order in which you present them. I say nothing. Truly, it is deplorable. But I make allowances. You are upset. To that I attribute the circumstance that you have omitted one fact of paramount importance. What is that? You have not told me if Mrs. Inglethorpe ate well last night. I don't remember, and anyways I don't see what... You do not see. But it is of the first importance. I can't see why. As far as I can remember, she didn't eat much. She was obviously upset from her quarrel with her husband, and it, had, and it had taken her appetite away. That was only natural. <laughs> yes, it was only natural. Now I am ready. We will proceed to the chateau and study matters on the spot. <laughs> Excuse me, mon ami. You dressed in haste and your tie is on one side. Permit me. Why, thank you, Poirot. Hadn't even noticed the damn thing was askew. Now, shall we start? As Poirot and I made our way back across the footpath to Stiles, I was still puzzling about his comment concerning whether Emily Inglethorpe had eaten. Poirot, I wish you would tell me why you wanted to know if Mrs. Inglethorpe ate well last night. I have been turning it over in my mind, but I can't see how it has anything to do with the matter. I do not mind telling you. Though, as you know, it is not my habit to explain until the end is reached. The present contention is that Mrs. Inglethorpe died of strychnine poisoning, presumably administered in her coffee? Yes. Well, what time was the coffee served? About eight o'clock. Therefore, she drank it between then and half past eight. Certainly not much later. Strychnine is a fairly rapid poison. Its effects would be felt very soon, probably in about an hour. Yet, in Mrs. Inglethorpe's case, the symptoms do not manifest themselves until five o'clock the next morning, nine hours. But a heavy meal taken at a 
about the same time as the poison, might retard its effects, though hardly to that extent. Still, it is a possibility to be taken into account. But, according to you, she ate very little for supper, and yet the symptoms do not develop until early the next morning. <laughs> now, that is a curious circumstance, my friend. Something may arise at the autopsy to explain it. In the meantime, remember it. Ah, this is the Chateau de Stars, n'est-ce pas? Yes, this is the place. Lovely old home, isn't it? So beautiful, so beautiful. And yet the poor family plunged in sorrow, prostrated with grief. I don't know that I'd say that exactly. No, you are right. It is not as though there was a blood tie. She has been kind and generous to these Cavendishes and raised them as her own, but she was not their own mother. She demanded only respect, not love. Blood tells. Always remember that blood tells. Hello, John. Here's Monsieur Hercule Poirot. This is a very dreadful business, Monsieur Poirot. Hastings has explained to you that we are anxious for no publicity. I comprehend perfectly. You see, it is only suspicion so far. We have nothing to go upon. Precisely. It is a matter of precaution only. Hastings, you know that fellow Inglethorpe is back? Yes. I met him as he was returning to the house. It's jolly difficult to know how to treat him. That difficulty will not exist long. Yes. Quite. Oh, Hastings, here are the two keys that Baustein gave me. The rooms have been locked. Dr. Baustein thought it was advisable. <clears throat> Given the circumstances. Then he is very sure. Well, that simplifies things for us. Thank you, Monsieur Cavendish. Come, Hastings, let us inspect the scene above. I say, Poirot, slow down, old chap. What have you, my friend, that you remain here like... How do you say it? Ah, yes, the stuck pig? Oh, I'm just being cautious, Poirot. I don't want to obliterate any evidence tromping about. Footprints, for example. Footprints? But what an idea. There has already been practically an army in the room. What footprints are we likely to find? No, come here and aid me in my search. Uh, if, if you say so. <gasps> what is this, Hastings? It's a purple dispatch case. Yeah, but see, look at the key in the lock. Here. Examine it further. It's a regular Yale-type key, Poirot. Uh, what are you doing to that bolt and that, and that door? My forceps, they're in my case, Hastings. Please bring them to me. Merci, mon ami. Also, an envelope? Here we are. Uh, but that just looked like a tiny particle of... Uh, what is this? On the chest of drawers. <laughs> Cocoa? <laughs> With rum, I believe. Ah! This is curious, Hastings. Observe the lamp. How it is split simply in two just as it fell. But the coffee cup. Yes, it has been smashed. Ground to a powder. Well, someone may have stepped on it. Exactly, Hastings. Someone has stepped on it. 
more than me. Somebody stepped on that cup, grinding it to powder, and the reason they did so was either because it contained strychnine or, which is far more serious, because it did not contain strychnine. Uh, I'm afraid I'm a bit at sea, I must confess. What are you doing now? Why are you on the floor? Do you see this? It looks like a stain. But, but I don't see how that matters, Poirot. That could have been done at any time. No, for it is still perceptibly damp and smells of coffee. I need my notebook. We have found in this room six points of interest, mon ami. Shall I enumerate them for you? Oh, I, I think I'll allow you. Very well. One, a coffee cup that has been ground into powder. Two, a dispatch case with a key in the lock. Three, a stain on the floor. Four, a fragment of some dark green fabric. Only a thread or two, but recognizable. That's what you sealed in the envelope. Yes. It may turn out to be a piece of one of Mrs. Inglethorpe's own dresses, and quite unimportant. We shall see. Five, this. The candle grease on the floor by the writing table? But of course. It must have been done since yesterday, otherwise a good housemaid would have at once removed it with blotting, paper and a hot iron. One of my best hearts once, but that is not the point. It was very likely done last night. We were very agitated, or perhaps Mrs. Inglethorpe herself dropped the candle. You brought only one candle into the room? Yes, uh, Lawrence Cavendish was carrying it. But he was very upset. He seemed to see something over there that absolutely paralyzed him. That is interesting, yes. It, it is suggestive. But it was not his candle that made this great patch, for you perceive that this is white grease, whereas Monsieur Lawrence's candle, which is still on the dressing table, is pink. <laughs> on the other hand, Mrs. Inglethorpe had no candlestick in the room, only a reading lamp. Well, then, what do you deduce? Isn't it obvious, Hastings? Use your little grey cells. It is all very logical. Uh, <clears throat> Quite. And the sixth point? I suppose it's the sample of cocoa. <laughs> no. I might have included that in the sixth, but I did not. No, the sixth point I will keep to myself for the present. There is nothing more to be done here, I think, unless the fire burns and it destroys. <laughs> but by chance, there might be... <laughs> Let us see. Poro, you're ruining your trousers crawling around in the ashes of the fireplace like that. What on earth are you doing? You're sorting through them like they were playing cards. Uh, the, the forceps, please, Hastings. There. Mon ami... Do you think of that? Poirot, this is a fragment of a will. Indeed. You are not surprised? I expected it. Come, Hastings, for I should very much like to interview the faithful maid to Mrs. Inglethorpe. Dorcas. I went in search of Dorcas while Poirot was sidetracked by the lure of the bedchamber of Alfred Inglethorpe. I returned from my quest to find Poirot standing in the hall, staring out a window.
Admirable. Admirable. What symmetry. Observe that crescent and those diamonds. Their neatness rejoices the eye. The spacing of the plants also is perfect. It has been recently done, is it not so? Yes, I believe they were at it yesterday afternoon, but come in, Dorcas is here. Maybe, maybe. Uh, do not grudge me a moment's satisfaction of the eye. Yes, but this affair is more important. And how do you know that these fine begonias are not of equal importance? Well, I'm afraid I just don't... You do not agree? But such things have been. Well, we will come in and interview the brave Dorcas. Here she is. Pray be seated, mademoiselle. Thank you, sir. You have been with your mistress many years, is it not so? Ten years, sir. Ah, that is a long time and very faithful service. You were much attached to her, were you not? She was a very good mistress to me, sir. Then you will not object to answering a few questions. I put them to you with Mr. Cavendish's full approval. Oh, certainly, sir. Then I will begin by asking you about the events of yesterday afternoon. Your mistress had a quarrel? Yes, sir. But I don't think that I ought to speak on that. My good Dorcas, it is necessary that I should know every detail of this quarrel as fully as possible. Do not think that you are betraying your mistress's secrets. Your mistress lies dead. And it is necessary that we should know all, if we are to avenge her. And nothing can bring her back to life. But we do hope, if there has been foul play, to bring the murder to justice. Amen to that. And name and no names. There's one in this house that none of us could ever abide. And an ill day it was when he first darkened the threshold. Now, as to this quarrel, what is the first you heard of it? Well, sir, I happened to be going along the hall outside yesterday. Uh, what time was that? I couldn't exactly say, sir, but it wasn't tea time by a long way. Perhaps four o'clock, or it may have been a bit later. Well, sir, as I said, I happened to be passing along when I heard voices very loud and angry in here. I didn't mean to listen, but... Well, there it is. I stopped. The door was shut, but the mistress was speaking very sharp and clear, and I heard what she said quite plainly. You have lied to me and deceived me, she said. But I didn't hear what Mr. Inglethorpe replied. He spoke a good bit lower than she did, but she answered, How dare you? I have kept you and clothed you and fed you. You owe everything to me, and this is how you repay me, by bringing disgrace upon our name. Again, I didn't hear what he said, but she went on. Nothing that you can say will make any difference. I see my duty clearly. My mind is made up. You need not think that any fear of publicity or scandal between husband and wife will deter me. Then I thought I heard them coming out, so I went off quickly. You are sure it was Mr. Inglethorpe's voice you heard? Oh, yes, sir. Whose else's could it be? I see. Well, uh, what happened next? I came back to the hall, but it was all quiet. At five o'clock, Mrs. Inglethorpe rang the bell and told me to bring her a cup of tea, nothing to eat, to the boudoir. She was looking dreadful. So white and upset. Dorcas, she says, I've had a great shock. 
I'm sorry for that, ma'am, I says. You'll feel better after a nice hot cup of tea, ma'am. And she had something in her hand. I don't know if it was a letter or, or just a piece of paper, but it had writing on it. And she kept staring at it, almost as if she couldn't believe what was written there. She whispered to herself, as though she had forgotten I was there. These few words and everything's changed. And then she says to me, never trust a man, Dorcas, they're not worth it. And I hurried off and got her a good, strong cup of tea. And she thanked me and she said she'd feel better when she drank it. I don't know what to do, she says. Scandal between husband and wife is a dreadful thing, Dorcas. And I'd rather hush it up if I could. Mrs. Cavendish came in just then, so she didn't say any more. She still had the letter, or whatever it was in her hand? Yes, sir. What would she be likely to do with it afterwards? I don't know, sir. I expect she would lock it up in that purple case of hers. Is that where she usually kept important papers? Yes, sir. She brought it down with her every morning and took it up every night. When did she lose the key of it? She missed it yesterday at lunchtime, sir, and told me to look carefully for it. She was very much put out by it. But she had a duplicate key? Oh, yes, sir. Forgive me, sir, but is this related to who might have oh, done something? Oh, never mind, Dorcas. It is my business to know things. Is this the key that was lost? That's it, sir. Right enough. But wherever did you find it? I looked everywhere for it. Ah, but you see, it was not in the same place yesterday as it was today. <laughs> now, to pass to another subject, had your mistress a dark green dress in her wardrobe? No, sir. Are you quite sure? Oh, yes, sir. Has anyone else in the house got a green dress? Uh, Miss Cynthia has a green evening dress. Light or dark green? A light green, sir. A sort of chiffon, they call it. Ah, that is not what I want. <laughs> and nobody else has anything green? No, sir. Not that I know of. Good. We will leave that and pass on. Have you any reason to believe that your mistress was likely to take a, a sleeping powder last night? Not last night, sir. I know she didn't. Why do you know so positively? Because the box was empty. She took the last one two days ago and she didn't have any more made up. Ah, then that is cleared up. By the way, your mistress didn't ask you to sign any papers yesterday. To sign a paper? No, sir. When Mr. Hastings and Mr. Lawrence came in yesterday evening, they found your mistress busy writing letters. I suppose you can give me no idea to whom these letters were addressed? I'm afraid I couldn't, sir. I was out in the evening. I can ask Annie for you, though she's a careless girl. Never cleared the coffee cups away last night. That's what happens when I'm not here to look after things. Oh, since they have been left, Dorcas, leave them a little longer, I pray you. I should like to examine them. Very well, sir. What time did you go out last evening? About six o'clock, sir. Thank you, Dorcas. That is all I have to ask you. I have been admiring these flower beds. How many gardeners are employed here, by the way? Only three now, sir. Five we had before the war, when it was kept as a gentleman's place should be. I wish you could have seen it then, sir. A fair sight it was. 
But now there's only old Manning and young William, and a new fashioned woman gardener in breeches and such like. Ugh, these are dreadful times. This war. The good times will come again, Dorcas. Good Lord willing. I'll ask Annie right away about those letters. Thank you, sirs. A loyal servant, Hastings. Do you not think that she is genuinely mourning the loss of her mistress? Oh, I think she genuinely loved Emily Inglethorpe. That is what concerns me, mon ami. Was she the only one? Oh, surely, Poirot. Come now, Hastings, you said it yourself. She was a woman whom they respected, had to respect, not one they loved. And now, I must return to the coffee cups left out by the maid, Annie. Coffee cups again, Poirot? Indeed, for this is all part of a larger puzzle. And I, Hercule Poirot, intend to find all the pieces. As I looked at my dapper friend, whose eyes glowed with an excitable green color, I was reminded of a cat focused on its prey, and a shiver passed over my spine. Thank you for listening to Murder in Your Ear. We appreciate you. To receive access to specialized content and to continue to support our quality programming, we invite you to visit our brand new Patreon site at www.patreon.com forward slash murder in your ear. That's www.patreon.com forward slash murder in your ear. And as always, Find us on Facebook and Instagram at NRM Performance and Twitter at Murder Ear.